This morning, we're going to look at uh, the first chapter of Joshua. And as I was thinking about this, I was, I was watching a, uh, a show on TV called Top Sniper. And it's, it's this thing on the military channel, and, and they basically follow these sniper teams around to this, this training exercises that they do. It's kind of a competition. I mean, what's amazing about these guys is how much detail they go into uh, in every mission and everything that they do. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. These are guys that go in and get dropped off sometimes five miles across the jungle from where they're supposed to be eventually. And as they're going to, they need to be, they've, they've got to be aware of everything around them. They've got to mark this path of where they've gone. And sometimes it's just a, it's a marking on a tree or it's a, a certain type of bush. But they've got to know exactly where they came from because they've got to get back. And once they get to where they're supposed to be, uh, they have to know what's, what's going on around them. They have to be perfectly camouflaged. Sometimes they'll, they'll show just exactly what they, you know, what they'll put on in their suits and how they blend in. And they were talking at once about how a blade of grass, if it bends the wrong way, it'll give away their position and, and they're in trouble. So they have to know exactly what's going on around them. But they also have to be aware of what's in front of them. They are sometimes a half mile out, a thousand meters out from, from their target. And they have to know that if the wind changes or if the weather changes or something happens, they've still got a, an open window for their target. I saw the show and I thought, man, this is just such a great example of who we're supposed to be as believers. To know exactly where we came from, to know how we got here, to be able to look around and say, this is what God's doing in my life right now. And then to also look ahead, to keep our eyes on the prize, to know what God is calling us to in the future. Next week, uh, you're going to get a chance to hear uh, our State of the Church address. And you're going to hear all those things about our church. You're going to hear where we've been in the last year, what God has done around here. You're going to hear some of the amazing things that are happening right now. We've got students at Kalahari right now. Uh, We found out last night that five students gave their lives to Christ. If we can't can't, uh, clap our hands about that, if we can't get excited, we've got nothing we can get excited about. So let's get excited about people coming to know the Lord. Um, But we're also going to hear about what God's doing, Um, the plans that he has laid on the leadership of this church, the the vision for the future. Um, We've we've talked many times, Proverbs says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Um, And we are a church that has vision. Uh, God has has given us clear direction and a clear idea of where we're going. So next week, you're going to hear all of this stuff about our church, about us as a body. So I thought today... As we prepare for that, um, this would be a great opportunity for us to step back and look at that for ourselves individually. Um, This morning, we're going to take a look and and we're going to attempt to answer the question of how do we maintain our spiritual purpose in our lives? Um, If you have your Bibles, uh, hopefully they are still open to Joshua 1. And this morning, we're going to focus just on these first two verses of Joshua 1. Um, And these first two verses say, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them, to the people of Israel. So in these these two verses, these two short verses, we're going to see three things to remember. Uh, as we move forward in maintaining our personal spiritual purpose. Uh, First thing, we're going to remember God's victories from the past. Remember God's victories from the past. 
And we see this in just the first half of verse 1, where it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. What we find here is that God is continuing a story. Um, one of the things that I think gets us into a, to uh, cause a lot of trouble when we read our Bibles is we read into uh, breaks in books. We read into breaks in chapters. We read into breaks in verses. And those are very good. They're helpful for us to be able to know where we're at, to be able to find things. But sometimes it, it, it breaks these stories down, and it breaks uh, God's word down into, into pieces. And what we see here is that this is a continuing narrative. Um, the first word that you'll find if you, uh, read the, if, if you look at the Hebrew of Joshua, the very first word is this word, vayahi. Now, most English translations won't include that in the translation because it's really just a marker word. Um, now, literally, it means, and it was. So if you read this verse liter literally, it says, and it was after the death of Moses. Now, this is important because this word vayahi occurs over 680 times in the Old Testament. So it's very common. Uh, but it always continues the narrative. It always says, because of X, then it was whatever comes next. So it's always a continuation. It, and in this case, it continues our narrative from the passing of Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, Moses dies. He goes up on a mountain, he looks out into the promised land, and he dies. And now Joshua takes over, but it's not a new story. Joshua continues what Moses had begun. And then it says, um, the servant of the Lord. God says, after the death of Moses, servant of the Lord. Amazing that this is what God calls Moses. This isn't some title that Moses gives himself. He doesn't say, hey, I'm a servant of the Lord. God himself looks at Moses, looks at Moses' life and says, my servant. How amazing would that be? I think about that, and I think, man, if if I were to die today, would God look at me and go, Jonathan, my servant? Would he look at, at the way that, that I have uh, lived my life and the way that I have chosen to, to study scripture, to de devote time to him and say, that's my servant. That's my boy. Uh, I'd like to think, yes. Um, I have a, a, a fear that the answer would be no. Um, but it, it's, it's just incredible that, that God looks at him and says, my servant. And this, this title, my servant, has come up before in the Old Testament. This is what, what God calls Abraham. It's what he, now calls, uh, what he now calls Moses. It's what he eventually calls David. And the key is that by the end of Joshua, when Joshua dies, God calls Joshua his servant. Joshua knew what came before. Joshua looked behind. He said, what did Moses do? How did Moses lead the people? That's how I want to lead. He didn't forget. He didn't forget the lessons. He looked back. He remembered how God had delivered the people of Israel. And he continued in that mission. Uh, I, I, was, I was trying to think of, man, when in my life have, have I been able to really look back and, and see what God has done and go, I, I need to continue that mission. And, and what, what came to mind was uh, when I was first out of college, um, I, I went to school down in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I was down there to play music. And so I, I wanted to be a musician. So I was a musician. And in Nashville, musicians are a dime a dozen. I mean, literally, a dime a dozen. Uh, so my first year out of college, I made $12,000. $12,000 living in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> and of that $12,000, I gave 
to my church $1,200. Out of only 12000 I made. Now, throughout that time, I can, I can remember one week where I'm looking at my bank account and I see $80. And the following week, I had a bill due, which was about $170. So I'm wondering, man, how am I going to pay my bills this month? Like, what is going to happen here? Uh, and later that week, I get a check in the mail from the college that I graduated from, and they sent me $200. Now, I don't know if you've had much experience with colleges. They don't give you money back. <laughs> I've, I've never, ever heard of this happening, that they give you money back. In fact, we were talking at, at our, our small group dinner the other night about how a college, you go there for four, uh, in my case, maybe it's five years, uh, you go there for all that time, you spend all this money, and then they call you saying, hey, could you give us more money? Well, I gave you all my money before. So, so I get this, this $200 check from, from the college, this reimbursement. It never happens. And I can tell you that that next month, that tithe check, easiest tithe check I've ever written. Easiest thing I've ever done. Because I could look back. I saw God's victory. I saw how he provided for me. And I think when we do this, when we, when we acknowledge God's victories, when we look back at where we've come from, it develops a couple things in our lives. First of all, it develops faith. Remembering God's victories develops faith. It reminds us of God's steadfast love. It reminds us of his faithfulness, and it reminds us of his provision. In Deuteronomy 8, uh, just, uh, just before the Israelites go into the promised land, um, Moses delivers a sermon. And in the sermon, he, he tells the Israelites, he says, in all those years in the desert, those 40 years in the desert, when you were hungry, I gave you food. You didn't even know what it was, but I gave you food. I gave you manna to eat. He says, your clothes never wore out because I took care of you. He says, 40 years of walking in the desert and your feet didn't swell. You stayed strong physically through 40 years of wandering in the desert. Why? Because I'm God and because I've taken care of you. And God's, God says through Moses, and I will continue to take care of you. Uh, I had a, a boss who used to say, past performance is the best indicator of future success. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. God's saying, hey, look back. When have I not taken care of you? Why will I not take care of you moving on? So we have faith. It develops faith when we remember those things. Faith that God will continue in his ways. And when faith is developed, we develop joy. Remembering God's victories teaches us to rejoice in the way that he's moving in our lives. James 1, 2 through 4 uh, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. It goes on in, in the end of verse 4 to say that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God says, in your trials, in your struggles, rejoice. Rejoice. Now, don't take that to, to mean that, that we're making light of the struggles that you go through. Okay, some of you have gone through some crazy heavy stuff. Some of you are going through heavy stuff right now. The rest of you will go through heavy stuff. And James 1.4 doesn't say consider it pure joy if you encounter trials of various kinds. It says when. So we're all going to face them. But if we have faith, if we remember God's victories, we can know that God has taken care of us before and he will take care of us again. So even in our times of trial, we know that God is protecting us and that God is doing a work so that we may be 
uh, perfect and complete and lacking nothing. So we have faith and we have joy. And when we have these two things, we develop confidence. We develop confidence. Um, as James 1.4 says, that we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That we would understand. We would know that whatever we're going through, whatever we're doing, God is going to complete his work. When we remember God's victories, we will have faith, we will have joy, and we will have confidence in who he is. Um, so how do we go about looking at God's victories? How do we go about acknowledging those victories in a way that, that creates faith and joy and confidence? A couple of, couple of just real easy things that we could do. Um, number one, you can write down. You can write them down. So maybe, you know, it's, it's a great time. This is first of the year. Um, you go home this afternoon. Uh, take, take a few minutes. Take 20 minutes this afternoon and write down the ways that God has been victorious in your life this year. As you look at it, what victories has God given you? How has he protected you? How has he sustained you? How has he been faithful to you? What situation would you have looked at 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and thought, there's no way I can do this, that God says, you can do this, and he's carried you through? Um, so you can write them down. You can also talk about these things. Uh, Aaron and I, the other night, we were on our way to Mishawaka, and uh, we just took part of the drive, and we talked about it. We said, you know, what's God taught you this year? What's, what's God teaching you? Where has God shown you some things in your life? How is God developing you? How has God moved you through this past year in a way that is molding you into the person that he wants you to be. Uh, and and it's, it's, not a, it's not a difficult conversation to have. Uh, sometimes just asking the question, I know for, for myself, if I ask Erin that question, I've got to be ready to answer. Because before she answers, she goes, well, y- you go first. I got, I've got to give the answer. So, so sometimes just going, okay, I'm going to ask the question. Okay, so what has God done for me? Because I've got to be ready for this. Um, so, so you can write these things down. You can, you can have conversations. Um, maybe, maybe the best way to go about this is to share your testimony. Um, that can seem a little bit scary, but when you take that, that step of talking to someone, maybe it's someone you work with, maybe it's someone you um, work out with, maybe it's somebody... Uh, maybe it's a family member. Um, there's this, this fear of, of sharing our testimony, but nothing will cement what you truly believe like having to stand up for it. When, when you get questioned back of, well, okay, that's, that's all good, that God stuff is all good, but, you know, what about this? What about this? Um, to be able to share with that person, hey, I don't have all the answers. But what I know is, I look back at my life, and I see how God has delivered me. God brought me through this. God brought me through this, and God brought me through this. In ways that that I never could have made it through. But God brought me through. So I know who he is. I know how he's brought me here. I know why he has brought me here. So, uh, God provides us these opportunities um, to look back to look at the ways that he's been victorious in our lives. And this is a crucial step in understanding what our purpose is and how we're supposed to move forward. But we can't stop there. 
We can't just look back and say, oh, God, God did a great work. I'm done. Okay, we have to, we have to acknowledge that God continues to work. See, God tells Joshua, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses has done some great stuff. He's my servant. He's a man, uh, as, he, as he calls David, he's a man after my own heart. He says, but I'm still here. So point number two, uh, we must first remember God's victories in the past, but we must remember his presence in the present. We must remember his presence in the present. Um, in the second half of Joshua 1, we read, um, the whole verse says, after the death of Moses, servant of the Lord. And the second half says, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Um, this language of the Lord said to Joshua, we have no idea what this means. I mean, if you want to talk about the specifics of how God talked to Joshua, no idea. There's no indication. It doesn't say God spoke through a burning bush. It doesn't say God spoke in an audible voice. It doesn't say God spoke through the still small voice. What it says is, God said to Joshua. Now, we don't know exactly how this looks, but we know that this is the same language used in Scripture when God talks to Moses. Okay, so however God talks to Moses, he also talked to Joshua. Whatever, whatever that looks like for God to talk to Moses is how he talks to Joshua. There's the same communication. God continues his communication into the present. Uh, and today, God continues to communicate his presence, right? I mean, God speaks to us in different ways. Um, I, I want to take a look at just a couple. This is, this is not exhaustive in any way, shape, or form, so if um, you feel like God speaks in a way that I don't talk about, uh, that's, that happens, okay? God is God. He's going to communicate in whatever ways he wants to communicate, and I'm not going to say uh, exactly how that looks, but we're going to talk about just a couple uh, right here. Um, the, the primary way that God communicates today, communicates his presence, continues, says, just as I moved in the past, I move right now, is through his word. God communicates through his word. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and 17 says um, that all of scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may com be complete and equipped for every good work. This is the most important thing you own. Amen? Anyone? This is the most important thing you own. If you don't know what this says, if you haven't taken time to read this, I'm very skeptical of what God says to you. If you come to me and you say, oh, I feel like God's telling me to do this and God's leading me to do this, but you have no idea what this says, I'm going to be skeptical of what you tell me. Because people can use that to justify anything they want when you don't know Scripture. God told me, I, God just told me that my marriage isn't right and I'm supposed to leave my wife. No. No. Uh, because of what this says. Well, God told me that it's okay for me to cheat on my taxes a little bit because we don't have much money and we need a little more. No. You are wrong. <laughs> Not because I say you're wrong, but because that's what this says. God communicates. He tells you everything you need 
everything you need so that you may be complete and equipped for every good work. So God communicates through his word. God also communicates through his works. And we see in Joshua, uh, at the end of Joshua, uh, Joshua's final address to the people of Israel, he says, um, he essentially says, hey, you guys can serve whoever you want to serve. If you want to serve the gods that your father served in Egypt, do it. If you want to serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land we now live, do it. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua is seeing how God moves. God's crossed the Jordan twice. Joshua has seen God provide manna. Joshua has seen God lead the people through 40 years in the desert. He knows what God can do. He looks back at what God's done, and he says, just as God has done this, he will continue to be faithful, and we will serve him. So God communicates through his word, through his works. He also communicates through uh, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, God communicates in a lot of ways through the Holy Spirit, okay? But, but he communicates through the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Um, in 2 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 7, 10 times the word comfort comes up in these, in these few verses. 10 times comfort. He says, God says, I have comforted you in your affliction so that you can comfort others in their affliction with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's, it's, a very, it's a divine comfort. There are things that, that we cannot do as humans, but God works through the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to soothe us in those, those times of anguish. I um, mean, God communicates his presence through that. Uh, but the one I want to look at uh, most today is that God communicates his presence through his leaders. God communicates his presence through his leaders. Uh, Romans 13, we're going to look at Romans 13, verse 1 and 2. And it says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. What this means is that any form of authority that is above you is ordained by God. That means your church leaders, your elders, your deacons, um, the, the volunteer staff, anyone who's in leadership has been ordained by God. That means that your job, your boss, has been put in place by God. That means, and I'm going to get myself in trouble, politically, every political leader is put there because of God's sovereignty allows it. And it says, when you resist, you incur judgment. I don't know how this works. I don't know how God works through certain, certain leaders that you would look at and go, man, that guy doesn't know a thing about God. All I know is that scripture says that that authority is, is put in place by God. I, uh, when I was in college, I got to do some, some rock climbing. I don't know if any of you have ever done rock climbing or, or uh, like rock wall climbing, but it's interesting. You climb up, and you've got to come down somehow. Okay, and, and what you do is you repel. What repelling is, is there's a guy at the bottom who has this rope that you're attached to. And you're, you're tied to this rope, and it goes up to this pulley system and comes down to the other guy. And what you do is you stand on the edge. You stand on the edge of this wall, and you lean back. And you lean back until you're, you're horizontal. And then you walk. To do that, you have to have incredible trust in the person who has that rope at the bottom. 
right? Because if they let go, it's going to be a rough landing. I, I thought about uh, illustrating this by having Jeff Hutchins come up and, and, and maybe Brad Colt, but I, to be honest, I don't trust him enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you have to have this trust. And it's not a blind trust. It's not a thing saying, okay, whatever, I'm just going to go back. You've tested the rope. You know the person be, below you is going to take care of you. It's not blind trust, but it's a trust. It's a trust in the fact that they're going to take care of you. And I think this is what, this is what we see um, in this trust of, of how God communicates through his leaders. When God lays something on the heart of leadership, our job is not to just say, okay, whatever you say, that's good. We're to be like the Bereans who question everything. But when we question, we question it based off of this. We question based off what's written in scripture. If that leadership is opposed to scripture, okay, now we've got a problem. But if that leadership makes choices that is opposed to our personal preference, to resist is to incur judgment. I'm going to get some emails tomorrow. So I think what we have to look at in this is what does our attitude about leadership say about our trust in God's sovereignty? If you don't trust your political leaders and your response to that is to, um, to, to badmouth everything that happens and to be critical... What does that say about, about your trust in God's sovereignty? Is, is God still in control? Is God's will still going to be done? Is God's kingdom still going to be built? If at your job, when your boss walks away, you badmouth them behind their back to, to your coworkers. It doesn't say much about your boss, but it says a lot about you. You see... God's presence is still present. God has not quit working because you don't agree with someone. God still works. God is still alive. God's will will be done because he is alive, because he is present. So for us, we have to look at those victories that God's given us, and then we have to look at the fact that God is still present today. And we have to trust that. So we look back and look to the present. But there's a third aspect here. As we remember God's victories and we remember God's presence, we also must remember God's calling for the future. Remember God's calling for the future. Remember God's calling for the future. As we saw in, in verse 1 of Joshua, um, it's not a new task. There's not a new story. This is a continuing tale of how God is working through the Israelites. And just as he has worked before, and he continues to work now, he gives the Israelites a task and says, okay, now it's time to go. And I'm going to do a work in the future. You have to see where I'm sending you. Um, verse 2 says, um, this is God speaking to, to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now the first thing that we see is, is God says, 
arise and go over this Jordan. Um, this, these words, arise and go over, um, uh, in, in the Hebrew text are in the imperative form. Now what that means is, God doesn't say, hey, if you guys want to go over, you know, now's the time, go ahead and, and, and head on over. You know, there's, there's some land over there, go for it. No, 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 this is imperative. This means it's a direct command from God. He shouts it, he exclaims it, he says, get up, get off your hands, quit sitting around, go over the Jordan. Get up and go take the land. He doesn't leave an option. He just tells them what to do. He says, get up and go. And who's to go? God says, you and all this people. You and all this people. Forty years ago, God said, go into the land of of Canaan, the land that I'm going to give you. And he got obedience from three people. He got obedience from Moses, from Joshua, and from Caleb. The rest of Israel said, no thanks. This time, he leaves no, again, he leaves no option. He says, get up and go. You and all this people, everyone, there must be a wholehearted devotion to the direction that God is leading them. So get up and rise, all you people, and go. Well, go where? God says, into the land that I am giving them. The interesting thing here is God doesn't say, get up and go into the land that you're going to conquer. He doesn't say, get up and go into the land that you're going to take. See, to take or to conquer gives credit to the Israelites. God says, go into the land that I am going to give you. God says, as you move forward, your victories are not because of you. It's not because of your strength. It's not because you're smarter than them. It's not because you're, you're faster, you're bigger, you're stronger. No, no, no. It's because I'm God. And because I'm giving it to you. Conquest gives credit to man. The divine gift gives credit to God. Today is, uh, today is my second anniversary of coming to CGC. January 2nd uh, was my my first official day here. Um, And I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, how I got here. Um, or, or kind of what the, the circumstances were. But uh, I was living down near St. Louis, and I was working at a college. I had a, a, a good job with a lot of security. I had a, a nice paycheck. I had uh, great health insurance. I had a nice retirement fund building up. I was almost out of debt. Um, I, I had just started dating this really cute girl. And, and I felt like God was saying, you know what, Jonathan? It's time to go. Rise and cross. I, I had no idea what it meant. And uh, about, I guess it was late November, uh, Cindy and I had a conversation, and I said, you know what? I, this is what God's calling me to. I'm in. I got to sell my house first, though. So I'm thinking, I got like nine months. I got six, nine months. <laughs> and my neighbor's house had been on the market for like a year, year and a half. N- nothing was selling in Greenville. I was like, okay, I'll sell my house first, and then I'll come. Uh, a week and a half later, my house sold to the first person that walked through it. The first guy I walked through it said, I'll take it. I'm like, shoot. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, here I am, you know, early December, I said, uh, God said go. God said, Jonathan, you've got to rise and you've got to cross. You've got to look at what I'm, what I'm laying in front of you. See the future. See the calling that I'm laying on your heart. 
and get up and go after it. And I did. And it's, it's been an incredible blessing to me. I feel so fortunate to be here. Um, to be able to worship with you every week. Uh, to be able to work with, with Jordan and Cindy. And, and to be able to serve with uh, the elders and the deacons that we have. Um, it's, it, this is truly an incredible place. And I have that gift because God said, get up and go. And I went. Albeit a little begrudgingly. But I, but I went. Um, and, and I don't want to sound like that's, that's bragging or anything like that. But I, I just know that in this case, I did what God called me to do. And I reaped great rewards. I mean, Israelite, the Israelites here in Joshua are in the same place. They've seen God move. They know the history. They know the victories. They know that God is still present because he's speaking to them. And he's speaking through their leader, Joshua. But they've also got to look across the Jordan and say, that land, that's where we're going. God is giving that to us. They had to move forward. Exactly. Amen. They had to move forward. Paul gets this, right? Paul gets this in, in, uh, in Philippians 3. Paul says, everything, I've, everything I am, everything I've been, everything I've accomplished, it means nothing. It's a loss. In, in the, the Greek text, he uses this word, skubala which never occurs anywhere else in the New Testament. But translators use it and they say it's, it's refuse or it's, it's dung. To be honest with you, all of those are very tame versions of that word. Probably the best English translation is crap. It's, it's, it's crap. It's meant to be offensive. He's not saying it's, oh, it's, it's kind of garbage, like you would want it, you'd put it in a garbage can in your house. No, no, no. He's saying you don't want to be anywhere near this. You don't want anything to do with this. It is, it's literally piles of crap. And I, like some of you may be offended by that right now. Good. Because that illustrates the point perfectly. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying it's offensive. Why? Why is, why is all of this offensive to Paul? Because he knows the gospel. Because he knows that Jesus Christ, who was in very form God, came to earth to be born of a virgin, to live a life that you and I were created to live, and we failed, to die a death that you and I deserve to die, so that we could spend an eternity with the Father where only he is qualified to be. That's the gospel. That's what drives Paul forward. So as we look back, as we see God's victories, as we recognize the fact that God's still here, and we look forward, what's, what's driving us forward? Is it the gospel? Is it the fact that, that we understand that God has given us so many victories, and he's still present? And therefore, he's going to continue to work the same way he's always worked. He's worked this way since the beginning of time. Why is he going to change now? He's not. We look ahead. We see where God is calling us, and we say, we're going to go. Because God's called us. Because, and he's faithful, and he will take us there. And he will get us there. So as we look at how we, um, 
how we're driven forward by the gospel, what does that mean to us? What does that mean to you? I mean, next week uh, in the, the State of the Church Address, you're going to hear of some needs we have, some needs to serve. Um, maybe, you've got, maybe you've got kids, and you need to be serving in, in the nursery once a month. Um, maybe you need to be teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe you need to be uh, helping with the men's ministry or the women's ministry. Um, if you're a student, maybe you need to get plugged in somewhere. Maybe you need to start seeing how God can use you, how God can use your gifts. For uh, those of you who are, are more mature in the faith, there's no spiritual retirement. I, I'm yet to find it in Scripture that there is spiritual retirement. You've never done enough. There's always more to do. We have so many young families who could use spiritual parents, who could use spiritual grandparents, um, who need someone to walk alongside and go, hey, I've been there. You're going to be okay. Your kid will eventually stop crying. <laughs> Some of you have that experience to just, uh, to just walk alongside. And we do that because we know the love of the Father. We know that God has proven himself over and over again, and so all we can do is give back to him. See, past, present, and future. God has given us confidence. He's given us guidance. And he's given us a vision to be who he's called us to be. When we remember his victories, when we remember his presence, when we remember his calling to the future, we cannot fail at being his people. We cannot fail at being his church. We cannot fail at building his kingdom. I think Romans 8.31 says it best. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Now, Father God, we just thank you this morning for being the God who is faithful, for being a God who uh, takes care of us time and time again, for God, being a God who's delivered us victory after victory, And Lord, we thank you that you remain. That just as you were, you are right now. You are unchanging. And you continue to guide us with your presence. And Lord, as we look ahead, we pray that we would not forget those things. And we wouldn't forget the fact that you are still calling us. You still have work for us to do. There's still kingdom work to be done. There are lives to be changed. Just as we saw five students get saved this week, Lord, we pray that we will see the rest of our cities saved. Lord, we pray that that because of the gospel, we have no choice but to reach out and be your people to Bremen, to Napanee, to Lakeville, to Mishawaka, to South Bend, to Indiana, to the United States, and to the world. Father, we pray that you would just open our hearts, open our eyes. Keep moving us forward. Father, we love you. And in your name we pray.